well, young prince, for though the journey has been filled with lands of both familiar and fancy, and abundance of laughter, tomorrow we march headlong into the cold night, which will be filled with treachery and deceit. Know that you have a thousand enemies, all of which will kill you if given the chance, but they shall have to catch you first. Hold thy shield high, protect thine head, but never harden thine heart. Hold your words true, the words of your family and house. Remember that in sweetness there is strength. Yes, for tomorrow we shall answer the age-old question. What? If Game of Thrones took place in Candyland! Everybody say hi, intrepid heroes! Hi, Intrepid Heroes! Ah, we're here at the final episode of our Dimension 20 trilogy. How does it feel, Amber? And what a journey it's been. Been a whole trip on both of them so far, and I'm excited to see what 90-minute wormhole we go down next. Candyland is a strong sell. I like Candyland. Hopefully this one won't take 90 minutes, but we'll see. It's a me episode. Who's to say? Yeah, so a little bit of house cleaning, just things to talk about before we get into the episode proper, and then I'll give you your time to talk if you want it. But, so, everyone, hi, hello. You may be wondering, are we going to cover more Dimension 20 content? Are we going to do side quests? Things like Tiny Heist, Escape from the Blood Keep, and The Seven, or Coffin Run? Uh, the answer is yes. Will we do another trilogy like this? The answer is again yes. That one I'm waiting on another campaign from the intrepid heroes so we can get a full three thing going on i've already promised to do one of the side quests in the seven i just think amber would generally enjoy that but those are big time investments i'd have to finish them so far i've only finished escape from the blood keep and we might do one on that but even tiny heist is only like four episodes four or five episodes but those are still like two hour episodes of pop so that's a time investment on my part so eventually maybe someday probably Probably, though. But yeah, if that's it, do you want me to get into it? Yeah, I want you to get into it. Alright, so where to begin with a crown of candy? So, not to compare two kings against each other, but Dungeons and Daddies is an inferior product when compared to Dimension 20, and that's just Damn. an inarguable fact, and everyone who wants to argue against me is wrong! But anyways... Holy shit. This is the season where I went, oh, okay, you guys are fucking good like i love fantasy high i love the unsleeping city i like a starstruck odyssey quite a bit i like a lot of the spin-offs i don't think some of the more comedy focused role play shows i listen to could do this season because this season is a game of thrones pastiche and it's one thing if you're going to play the song of ice and fire rpg hey everyone someone should play that with me i own the books and i think it would be fun but it's another thing to say we are going to do a Game of Thrones style show because that is comparing yourself to a landmark moment of pop culture. What was prestige television and a cultural landmark every week. So you're just setting yourself up to be compared to one of the best things that happened. And they fucking nailed it. It's so goddamn good. And I will say emphatically, the daddies could not have made this season. It was the one where almost every talkback episode, the cast had to talk about, like, the aftercare that was involved because the emotions ran so high, deceit and foul play was so rich in the air, they needed to take breaks. And yeah, I fucking believe that it. That rules. Fucking, oh, shout out to 
Shafon Thompson, shout out to motherfucking Emily Axford, who just gave round robin goddamn performances. There's the meme in the Dimension 20 space where it's a picture of Emily crying as Little Red Riding Hood in Never After right now and just as give Emily her Emmy. Give her the Emmy for this fucking season. Holy shit. So I bring most of this to bring up just like the the pinnacle of this season is so fucking good. And it is. But also it is a Game of Thrones pastiche. It's the high lethality season. Going into the start, every member of the cast needed a backup character just in case and part of watching game of thrones or reading song of ice and fire is the shock of red wedding right and that's not something that Mm -hmm. should be spoiled so i'm going to be very conscientious of no spoilers like i spoiled most of fantasy high and most of unsleeping city congress dies at the end ha 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 ha. this one i don't want to so i will talk about plot and character the briefest i've done so far even though i know all of these the plot has been very brief yeah yeah totally yeah so most of what i'm gonna end up talking about is just kind of the setting and how it works because another fun fact is this is the most lore like world building brendan has done because brendan's very adamant about i'm lazy so i come up with a bare bones little place i give it to my players they come back to me with characters and whatever they've presented with me are the parts of the world i know i need to focus on but this one he invented like like a whole like not whole languages but like every race speaks their own specific language there's its own currency their own calendar their own holidays their own world religions all these things were built before the players represented brendan with anything so i do have a lot to talk about in there but first uh the plot in brief and i do also think is the theme of a crown of candy which is can the world be cruel enough to irrevocably break this one family that's the most you get for plot that's the theme of the show. And who is that family specifically? It's the Rocks family. That's a hell of a that's a hell of a pitch for a thing that you originally sold to me as Candyland. <laughs> it's it's what if Candyland meant Game of Thrones? And it's fucking good. So we're gonna very briefly talk about the main cast who are the House Rocks and people who are House Rocks adjacent. Starting actually with an NPC, Queen Caramelinda. Shout out to her because Brennan once said that no one's more Team Caramelinda than him. And I st- you stand corrected, Brennan, and we shall come to blows when you invite me on your show. Definitely invite me on the show, Brennan. Everyone at Brendan Lee Mulligan and tell him to let me on Dimension 20 when these episodes Brennan, go up. wouldn't it be so funny if you invited me instead of Devin on the show? Wouldn't that be so funny? <laughs> come on, Brennan. For the bit, invite one of us on. But I am 100% Queen Caramelinda, my OC, Persephone Pomegranate, who I might be able to talk about because I think this episode will be a little shorter. But Queen Caramelinda is her sister and gives uncritical and undying support and devotion to her sister. I fucking love Queen Caramelinda. She gets pegged as an ice queen a lot, but she's like, she's pragmatic. Politics and the norms of the court and customs are her battlefield and when she looks to the outside world she doesn't see a a wondrous land of all these vegetable and fruit people she sees the thing that took away the woman she loved the most in the world and so she's very isolationist and doesn't care much for the outside and i don't know i like queen caramelinda a lot i think she gets a reputation of being too much of an ice queen just wanted to say that but the not main character but the head of the household is Amathar, the unfallen king of Candia, as played by one Lou Wilson. And fucking just 
coming back to that, like, you're doing a Game of Thrones, you're doing prestige television. Like, I don't think there's, like, a canon of actual play shows, but if there was, this would definitely be in it. It's so fucking good. But I think when we all make characters in, like, a tabletop, we get a little infantilized. You want to make, uh, like, a cool dude, right? And even if you make, like, a shitty person, you still want to be hot, because your obviously has to be hot, yeah, right? Yeah, obviously. Like... Of course I want to be hot. <laughs> right? But, like, when I made a character, I was like, I want to be a bad person, because I was tired of ending up doing moral ambivalency. I made Reed, and I love Reed, but he's cartoonishly evil, just over-the-top nonsense. But with King Amathar, it's Lou took all of his negative traits and all of his personal shortcomings, turned them up to 10, and made a character. And so it's not like this cartoonish over-the-top, you're just a terrible person, but it's like a lot of moral inconsistencies that feel very human and relatable, just day-to-day fuck-ups that compound to make the less-than-ideal person in King Amathar. And in my own defense, before I get very in the weeds of, like, anti-King Amathar rhetoric, A, the goal was kind of a bad, was, like, kind of a bad person that does not make a bad character, as long as the show and people running things understand that, and they do. And B, this was a high-emotional season. It was a high-emotional season for me, too, (laughs) as Persephone Pomegranate, and she, like, uncomplicatedly just hates Amathar of the House Rocks. We'll get into it later. But when it comes to Amathar, it's... He's just... Queen Caramelinda said it the best. She had a line that just cut straight to the soul of this guy when she said, um, I think indecision has been your primal sin. And it just fucking hurt because he's just a guy who didn't know when to make calls and he was designed to be a war guy. He's a great general. He knows how to protect people. The skill set he have does not translate into being a good husband, does not translate into being a good king. It does not translate necessarily even to being a good dad. But he tries his best, and he can learn the error of his ways, possibly. I love him. He's a complicated guy. His daughters, Jet and Ruby Rock, as played by Emily and Shafan Thompson, they start as, like, not Golden Age Disney princesses, but Disney Renaissance-era princesses, singing the I want so much more than this provincial life. Jet does not want the throne, Ruby, in particular, wants to run away and join the circus, and it is an understanding that that is uh, an incredibly insulting and, like, privileged position to take, and how long can Disney princesses in Game of Thrones last without growing and evolving and learning, like, what is their relationship to power? What does it mean to wield power? If I really want to change the world, am I better suited to do it with the throne? What does it mean to reject that? All of this and more is explored with those two, keeping within the rocks. What'd you say? That's a strong pitch. That's a strong sell for a character. And then adjacent to the Rocks family is cousin Liam Wilhelmina, who I simply adore. I have a very strong, like, (laughs) I got really, I got so into Persephone Pomegranate because I'm like, I feel like Liam's mother. Honestly, I have such a I have such a nurturing relationship to this socially socially inept little ranger boy who is the cousin of 
Amathar and the ward of House Rocks in the sense that Theon Greyjoy is a ward of the Stark family, which means a prisoner of war because Liam's dad, Joran Jawbreak, is in open rebellion against the Concordant Emperor. I'm throwing around a lot of terms and we'll get to them when I do world building stuff. But anyways, Liam, political prisoner, his character arc is he wants to be a seed guy in a world where you need to be a war guy. And I'm not going to get into everything, but I do just want to shout out uh, Ali Beardsley as a player. Like, their growth, starting off in the first episode, not the first episode, but the first fight of Fantasy High, and Ali's going like, what do you need to roll to do attacks? And gets killed, <laughs> just and like fails to climb on a table. And I love Rangers. Rangers are awesome. I'm not going to make this a rant about how inefficiently Taylor Swift is played in season two of Dungeons and Daddies, but he is, and it upsets me every time, and Rangers get shat on in the community, but I love them. If you want to see Rangers played at optimum efficiency, watch A Crown of Candy, because Gloomstalker Rangers can become the fucking Punisher, and Liam is just icing fools left and right in encounters, and it fucking rules. Shout out Rangers to you, Liam. Rangers are cool. You're right. <laughs> yeah! Shout out to you, Liam. Ah, uh, we stand an asexual icon. And that is the family of House Rocks, and now we have the adjacent people. So there is Leopold, I believe... I'm not going to remember his last name, but Le Sir Leopold, who is a gummy bear knight played by Brian Murphy. And I'm going to say something that doesn't make sense, but then hopefully explain it. But it's the most Murphy character Murph ever got to play, and that's because Brian Murph is a nerd who likes knights and rules and things to follow and having a strict schedule. So he got to play a paladin who protects people and he brought his little sheet of paper that he would unscroll, a real prop that had all of Amathar's titles that he would read out even when Amathar didn't want him to. And he just got to play someone with a very specific goal, protect this family at all costs. Most of his character work is about like testing the upper limits of loyalty. Am I loyal to this family or am I loyal to the crown? And non-spoilers, this is all I'll say, but Persephone Pomegranate is Team Saccharina 100% pretty uncomplicated, actually very complicatedly. We'll talk about that if we ever do a revisit episode. And then the last one, Lapan. His last name is like some type of... It was like Lapan Cranberry, I think, who is a chocolate bunny man. Did I bring up the fact that Amathar is a raw pop rock candy man or that his daughters Jet and Ruby are not Laffy Taffy? What's that nasty ass Twizzlers? What's that? Red vine? Yeah, they're Licorice. vine. They're like black and red vine candies. Have I been bringing that up? I feel like I haven't. Uh, well, you certainly brought it up now. I have now. Very important for knowing how characters in the universe works. But Lapan, Chocolate Bunny Man, played by Zach Oyama, and it was Zach getting to be like a dick <laughs> like he wanted to be the the smart guy who was kind of tired of everyone's stuff lapan was a primogen of the bulbian church primogen of the bulbian church i will describe these things <laughs> i promise but yeah okay <laughs> essentially you know a priest of a catholic church right but he hides his warlock powers under the guise of being miracles because the world has a strange relationship to magic. So that is the main cast. Most of what their stuff, most of what they're about. 
And now I'm just going to talk about the world for a second. And like I said, for the Unsleeping City one, I reserve the right to not talk about my OC because these episodes run a lot longer than I thought they did. If you want to know more about Persephone Pomegranate, shoot me one single comment on Twitter and I'll do a special episode where I talk all about her. You'll find out why she's so hot. So, A Crown of Candy takes place in the world of Calorum because it's like calorie. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. I get it. Yeah. Okay, cool. And a bit of history for the world. About mm, 20-some-odd years ago, the Ravaging War happened. I personally think it would be a little cooler if it was called the War of the Concord. I just think it rolls off the tongue better. But these are my notes, Brennan. We will discuss them more when you let me on your show. But the Ravaging War was a war that accompanied all of the five nations of Candia. The ending result of the war are the Concord was set up and the... Bolbian faith got to spread all of its influence, and hopefully I'm about to explain those things pretty well. The Concord is a voluntary agreement that all of the lands of Calarum will pay about 20% tax and levy like one-fifth of their army so that no one person can rally up, so we'll never have one of these again. Uh, results with a Concord Emperor. The first one was a Fructeran, whose name escapes me at the moment. He was a he was a radish man, and the Bolbian church got to spread its influence because all of the knights are sworn in on the Book of the Leaf. I'm throwing out terms because Brendan worked on all of these things, and I want to let you know how hard he worked on all of these things. I appreciate that. Yeah, and the Bolbian church was mostly isolated to, let me look at the name real quick, sequestered off in Vegetania, but after, after this war inviting all five of the nations, we've done some... Uh, cross-cultural pollination, some globalism, if you will. So let's get in to those five nations, who we are, what we're operating with. Hopefully that will tickle your brain enough in a way to make an OC. And let's start with... That's the part that's going to matter to me, yeah. Yeah, the part that's going to matter to make it a character. Let's start with the Meatlands. They're based on Celts, and the Meatlands is a bit of a nomenclature. No one in the Meatlands calls them that because they're all very uh, sporadic isolated, decentralized, that's what I'm looking for. There's a vast array of cultures and customs. They're barbarian-like. And there is one, air quotes, king, but that's just because he's the strongest one who is... It's like the the king... Uh, king, Not the king of the north. The king beyond the wall, if you're a Game of Thrones fan. I'm going to make a lot of comparisons to Game of Thrones because it's a Game of Thrones pastiche. And that's a very popular show, so hopefully people will understand what I mean when I say those things. But the Meatlanders, they're very proud. They're proud without needing to be boisterous about it. They have Russian accent, Russian Euro- Russian European accent, Eastern European accents. Fuck me, why can't I talk today? Uh, their ruler is... I was Basha and Skrava Mierno, which is Russian for meat, so sorry if I pronounced those words wrong, but I do not speak Russian. But they actually still follow uh, their pagan ways of they worship the great beasts, so because they're meatlanders, they're all like meat people. And uh, just a fun little thing about how people can look in this setting is that there's like Annabelle Chatter, who's like a yellow-orange woman because she's anthropomorphic cheese and she has a haircut that is both masculine and feminine at the same time. And it's very intimidating and arousing to various characters. And there's uh, Prince Coldbottom, who's just a cold glass of milk with eyes and a mouth. 
and you can be either one of you can go in either of those directions so the meatlanders since they all come from meat the things they worship are like the great cow right if you're a piece of bacon you worship the great pig so on and so forth let's do candia next candia is where the rocks family come from candia is very sweet the air smells good it's all based on candy and sweets they have a strong connection to magic and we'll talk about like the origins of magic kind of at the end of this because we'll start because i wanted to start with candy and end with vegetania but i screwed up the order a little bit but it's no biggie but magic in the rest of the world is kind of frowned upon it's usually looked at it's looked on as like more witchcraft but candy is inspired by very bavarian architecture they have either american or british accents because lou wilson was like i'm not doing an old-timey accent i'm gonna do a weird brooklyn thing with king amathar they're very open like freewheeling candy people they tend to get along they weren't hit that hard by the ravaging war because they entered late uh, but you know who was hit pretty hard by the ravaging war the dairy islands who are a very proud people and unlike the meatlanders they are boastful about it if you're an inland dairy islander you, you speak with more of a scottish diction but if you're uh, if you're by the coast and you're more yogurt based you actually have more of a french vernacular because you're closer to you're closer to fructera they are seafaring folk greyjoys if you've watched game of thrones but less ultra bastard pirates more freewheeling and fun and they took the ravishing war particularly hard their navy was hit and because they're a proud people that's something that's stuck with them kind of to this day they're very closely aligned to candia who you think fructera would be aligned with candia pretty closely but they're actually not so let's talk about the fructerans for a bit but they their air is also sweet but it's it's an earthy sweet it's a natural sweetness right because they're fruit people they uh actually had the first concordant emperor so the, where the candle of calorum is i the name is escaping me it's the spanish word for food someone will know what it is and that's fine comida there we go yeah that is the capital of the place it's where the concordant emperor is and so there they speak with they tend to speak with either american or french accents since they neighbor candia uh they're a very I got lost on, I wanted to say they're like Tokyo, but they're like the trade hub, right? And the reason I want to say like Tokyo is because the adage is Tokyo is 10 years ahead of the rest of the world. That's kind of where Fructerans are because they are the beneficiaries of being the commercial hub and also where the capital is located and where a lot of power and money gets centralized. And let me just check if I covered everyone else and if I'm at the last one. Nope, I need to talk about the Citrina which is the grain people, so lots of breads, things like that. Uh, they, they all have uh, uh, Italian accents. They're based off of, of Rome. They have just developed the Senate. Yeah, very heavily Roman-inspired. One of the notable characters is uh, Ciabatta. It's Senator Ciabatta, who's just a big fucking loaf of Ciabatta bread. But it's kind of known that Centrisa is either stuck between a Senate that is functionally useless or a strongman dictatorship. So they're not doing well despite having the reason, like, the thing about Rome is they weren't necessarily good strategists when it came to war. If you're like a Rome warfare nerd, a lot of their strategy was just the Zap Brannigan law <laughs> of sending in wave after wave. They just had so many fucking people. Same thing for 
sing Teresa. They have a lot of goddamn people and a constantly wrought little political system in their own place. And now that leads us to Vegetania, the head of the Bulbian church. And when one describes the people of Vegetania, one could say that they are a, you know, simple, dogmatic, pious people who are very proud and sanctimonious about their homegrown religion. That was a bad pun. Or you could say that they're religious zealots with an unhealthy fervor and need to spread their religious influence and who may look at some of the other people in Calarum as unforgivable heretics and infidels. And the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. See, a notable character's mirror would be... Uh... Primogen Bracatania and Keratin Deeproot. And yeah, vegetarians, they they wear the fact that they're vegetables, like a healthy food, very heavy on their sleeve. Their dogmas about like healthy food and all that stuff. And their religion is very heavily based on Catholicism. The bulb is a very Judeo-Christian figure. And it's where divine magic can come from. And in their pantheon, there's also the Eaten One, who is the devil figure. Hell is where you go to get eaten for all of eternity. And the nature of these cosmological beings or entities is one of the things that's explored. So are they uh, a god and a devil forever locked in a war? Or are they simply cold, unfeeling manifestations of creation and entropy forever in a cosmic dance, and they just kind of dispense power to ever praise to them. I don't know. Watch the show and maybe you'll find out. That's most of the lands. I think that's most of what I wanted to say about how magic works. And yeah, it flows more freely in Candia. Candia is very open with all of their customs, as opposed to the rest of the world. Some are closed off, a little more pious, a little more reserved, because the Bulbian Church has spread its influence far and wide, except for, like, the Meatlands, who again worship the greater beasts, and only, like... Yeah, sure, wink nod, because we still want to be a member of the Concord. The reason Joran Jawbreak is in open rebellion is because he personally and his little section of candy does not want to give up their pagan ways and uh, convert to Bulbian church. And so that's that's Crown of Candy. That's some of the characters. That's some of the place. Do you have any questions? Has this all made sense? Do you feel good? Let me go over the kingdoms again. We've got candies, meats, veggies, fruits. Wait, what are the ones, what are the ones I'm missing? Dairy. Dairy, yep. It's the food pyramid. It's okay. <laughs> the capital. Is there grains? I'm sorry. Did I totally miss grains? That's a that's a sectera. But yeah, it's the 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 capital building thing where the Concord Emperor is is literally called the food pyramid. I'm thinking a lot about um, Pajama Sam Three. You are what you eat from your head to your feet. Oh, there was uh, one thing, one little fun fact I wanted to bring up uh, before we got into episodes. So I've I've brought up like you're either like just an anthropomorphic slob of cheese or you're like. A sexy blue man. Geography matters a lot for what you're gonna look like. So, because some of like some of it's arbitrary, like in our real world, like state lines are entirely fucking arbitrary and all that good stuff. Like Filipinos, are they Polynesian? Are they Latin? Are they Asian? They're kind of a mix of everything, right? So like, if you're a pie person, there's like dairy and pie, right? But you're you're gonna be a fruit Terran because you're mostly made of fruit, but got it. So most characters are like specific foods that represent some combination of various other, like various nationalities. Yeah. But 
if you're a pie person, right? You're a fructarian. But if you grow up in Candia, you'll turn into pie a la mode <laughs> like That's when you become so a teenager. Cute. So just like spending more time in another place in your developmental period can like affect the kind of anthropomorphic food item you're turning into. And that's just a little uh, that's fun bit of really stuff. interesting, actually. Yeah, it's one of my favorite little lore pieces about the world. I, Brandon, please release the <laughs> the fucking book because I want to I want to play around in this setting. It's it's a lot of fun. OK, OK. So let me ask you then. Where do you think that a popcorn person would live? I think they'd be Ceresian. I think that's a grain. In my brain, that's a grain. Because uh, I just think, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's popcorn, right? And It's like, it's a vegetable, but it probably has butter on it. So that's dairy. But it also, like, it feels like a grain emotionally, right? Yeah, in my heart, it's a grain. So, like, there is... A spearman <laughs> called, like, Sir Spud Flash Fry, who's, despite being French fries, is a vegetarian, I believe. Oh, yeah, I just remembered the War of the Con- The War of the Concord was started, and this is how much the lore goes back. If, if you're a nerd and you like lore and, like, wiki entries, this is the season of Dimension 20 for you. But the War of the Concord, the war- ah, the Ravishing War was started because uh, Jacques Tamata a fructarian was set to inherit the throne of Greenhold in Vegetania and war ensued. So, like, you can just kind of... Like, the fact that it doesn't always one-to-one make sense is part of the world. Talk to me a sec, then, about tone. I just... I threw out popcorn because I thought it was an interesting question, but now I'm, I'm having ideas about it. Um. To date, I think the heaviest season they've done... But it is a college humor production. We are all dealing with improv people. It's funny. Like, Leobold has this bit with late introduced character uh, Gooey, where they're, like, sizing each other up, right? And Gooey's like, oh, yeah, big, big tough bear. But you have a real soft soft center under that armor. Why don't you take it off and I'll take you down right down. And Leo's like, yeah, I bet you can. <laughs> I bet you can take me down. And we find out that Leo's just like, like their their fight flirting just turned into, yeah, I'm submissive. I can yeah. be out submissive to you. You can't punk me. <laughs> jokes are cool. Jokes are good. Jokes are encouraged. Le- Shakespeare used levity, but it is a more serious season, right? Game right. of Thrones pastiche. I know I made you watch the first season of Game of Thrones at the very least. It's true, you did, and I remember it, because we were teenagers, and I had that moment when there was, like, the lesbian sex scene, and I was like, ah, I liked that, and you were like, damn, that is more vulnerability about sexuality than I expected you to ever have with me, because I (laughs) didn't go to a lot of parties as a kid. (laughs) I I do remember that. You remember that moment? (laughs) I do. So yeah, does that uh does that sort of nail the tone? Because if not, I think yeah, it's th- okay, it does. I'm I'm so this is like one of the challenges you have with the Game of Thrones type setting is that you sort of can't like in some ways it's difficult to insert characters into that setting because you can't have them touch the main plot of the series very much because the main series like being so political 
is such a tangled knot that it's difficult to find a spot to exist in where you're not disrupting events from the plot, especially if you, like me, don't know all of the intricacies of the franchise. Here's, here's the first place my brain went when I was thinking about popcorn. Popcorn is a group of people um, who travel together, think like medieval biker gang. I almost want to say like a troop of bandits. Like maybe a a crime syndicate of some kind. I don't know. A a a syndicate of it doesn't have to be lawless. It can we can find something for that. Uh, but like a group of people who are known to stick together, to travel together, um, and probably to move from place to place, to exist in in I don't remember all the countries' names, but Dairyville and the Grain Capital and Vegetania. Probably like I can't see a way they would be in fruit. Or in sweets necessary. I mean, unless, you know, you can have some kettle corn. They can hang out in sweets sometimes. I don't know. It's a, it's a food that moves very fluidly between the groups. Um, and I imagine them on the road a lot. I would maybe, for this section, want to tap into... Like, you've talked a, a little bit on the show about um, uh, mixed kid feelings. And I'm thinking about like these characters as having a sense of being a part of multiple worlds at once. And I don't know if that's a place where you could maybe contribute um, more than I could. I don't know. Biker gang is definitely the first place my brain wants to go, but obviously you don't have bikes, but like surely there was, there were fraternities, right? That existed in the world. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm getting lost on it. And the, what the fuck are they called in Robert Jordan Wheel of Time. The Tinkerers are like, if Robin Hood's Merry Men weren't in the one, like if they were explorers, right? If they ventured I out. I love that. I love the Robin Hood comparison here, actually. Yeah, I, I like that. So when you said popcorn, are you thinking a collective as opposed to like one character who was part of a traveling group? Yeah, I guess, I guess so. We could, I mean, we could make up an individual popcorn kernel if we want to do like a, a specific OC. I'm fine with that. Uh, no, I'm fine with either. I, I, yeah, I like the idea of uh, traveling, a nomadic bit of uh, kernel people who aren't 100% sure where they fit in in the. Here, we can, we can, we can split the difference. We can make the Robin Hood of this group. Our OC is the leader of the the popcorn. Ooh, okay, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Do you want to pick a class? Because it is. It is 5e. Oh shit, it's Dungeons and Dragons. I totally even forgot that was a whole element of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. I, <laughs> if you want the classes for the main cast, I can give them to you, but I kind of forgot to go over it. <laughs> I mean, I remember that one of them was a ranger because we spoke about that and how rangers are cool, comma, actually. Hell yeah. Liam, you fucking dope-ass ranger. Uh, Jet and Ruby start off as rogues. They multi-class. Amethar's a barbarian. Leo is a paladin, and Lepan is a warlock. Okay, so Bard, right? Did we do Bard for one of the other ones already? Bard's mine for this season. I play a sexy Bard who is down to flirt with people, and she swings breastedly. I love you, Persephone Pomegranate. You're shaped like a pram bottle because you're a pomegranate. So this is an area where, having played very little Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition and personally refusing to learn the rules to Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, um, I don't know how their multi-classing works. It feels sort of thematically appropriate to do a multi-class character if they have such a thing, right? Like, Oh, you can just do it. It's, it's like my favorite take on multi-class, and you can just do it freely. It's pretty dope. Wonderful. 
then we want a character who has a foot in multiple worlds class-wise, right? To parallel the rest of what's happening with this character. Yeah, I like that. That makes sense to me. Definitely thinking a few levels in Ranger, because a Robin Hood figure. Yeah, I was thinking maybe... Like, if we want the connection to nature, but we don't want to tread on the PC toes, we could go, like, Druid. Ooh, yeah, okay, I like Druid. And then, I like, they're in charge of a bunch of people, maybe, like, Fighter. We do, like, Druid Fighter. That's weird. Oh, that's weird and fun. That's weird Druid and Fighter fun feels like they want to do Wild Shape a bunch, right? Does that make... Do you do Wild Shape in this setting? What does Wild Shape mean in this setting? I wouldn't be too sure because no one does it. It's it's not low magic, but it's not... Like, magic is noteworthy, right? Lepan has to hide that he's a warlock and say it's miracles he's performing so that the rest of the world doesn't shun him as a heretic, right? So, like, people have magic. It's a thing that froze freely in Candia but is, like, strange to the rest of the world. So I don't... I'm not sure what it would look like if it's a thing they would want to hide or if the fact that they are performing magic is something they want to broadcast to the world. If they're like, don't have a home, I don't think it would bother them too much to wild shape a lot and in front of people. Yeah, my instinct would be that they've like built their own community outside of like the normal social mores here. And so like within their spheres, like of course wild shaping is 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 okay. Like maybe in a way where it isn't in most like, developed nations. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Are they all druids? I don't think they all need to be druids. I think that our, our leader should be at least part druid, but I think that... I think we should have a, a diverse array of, of of classes in this little organization. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I gotcha, I gotcha. What's a good, stupid, corn pun name? Colonel Cornelius. Oh, that's so bad. We have to. <laughs> there we go, Colonel Cornelius. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. Is it spelled, just for the benefit of of future us who have to name the episode, is it spelled Colonel like Popcorn Colonel, or is it spelled Colonel like the Rank Colonel? Which is more fantasy and stupid? Because whichever is the answer, then yes. I think we spell it like Popcorn Colonel. And it's not until you say Colonel Cornelius out loud that you realize what the the joke. <laughs> until you realize you've made a grave mistake. Uh-huh. All right, so we've got Colonel Cornelius, our fighter barbarian, crafting out their own little section of the world for his own little colonel group that he's founded of outcasts and scavengers. A lot of that makes sense to me. It's it's kind of clear, but like, what are uh, we need to go over just, like, visuals and stuff like that, but I think I want to stick in character-wise for a second. Like, is there a, is there a thing that you feel needs to click into place? Because I definitely feel like I'm missing, like, one thing to really have it pop, you know? Yeah, I definitely am interested in knowing a little bit of the why about this character. Why has he found himself in charge of this band of people why has he decided not to ally himself with any particular region or nationality? Like, is there a goal? Like, other than, like, are they doing a wealth redistribution Robin Hood thing? Are they just wandering around from place to place because it's kind of what they do? 
let's go back to the bikers you know going around from place to place because it's fun to go from place to place what does a year look like for them so those are those are yeah the whys of why this character is how they are and what does a year in the life of this gang look like okay so i'm gonna pull out another a deep lore cut like spices like cumin and crushed red peppers most spices would exist in vegetania but they're their own little iconoclast with their own culture and stuff so i think most of the group looks like those people who are like technically fruit terran but don't 100 percent fit he found all of the social outcasts and moras and gave them a place to belong so they have a radical devotion to him and i think our guy just like is just something of a vagabond like a wayward soul just like you know, a drifter likes moving around from place yeah, to place, yeah. wants to carve out their own way in the world because the world, this is where the world gets to make sense to them. A popcorn with butter who doesn't exactly know where he fits, you know? I'm always thinking, like, I just, last night I just watched this movie called Performance 1970. Um, I'm thinking, I'm trying to, like, communicate the thing that I am, um, I'm thinking, like, there's this character in that played by Mick Jagger like bohemian rock star type wearing a lot of makeup because of his young bohemian nature definitely like kind of like emo with it so that the teenage girls are like into that vibe but like acting all disaffected you know like like a like a billy joel armstrong from the aughts sort of a situation of just like like the main character and bike jousters that's not the name of the movie shit (laughs) Like a like a disaffected bohemian rock star is the vibe I'm imagining. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like I can imagine that person accruing a a collection of of outcasts around them. Movie was Night Riders, but night like with a K. Cute. Starring David Hasselhoff as Michael Knight. Hi, everyone. This was the Knight Riders interlude <laughs> of the podcast. Knight Riders is actually a pretty rad movie, so I'm not going to talk about it here because this episode's already running long. Um, but that's a vibe. Um, does that answer the why for you and kind of the energy of his following? It answers the why. Yeah, I, I feel like the why is covered. And I almost even feel like it covers what a year looks like. Like, that is just they travel from place to place. Um, are they trying to see who they can help? Or are they just like seeing the sights? Are they trying to like pick up the the outcast as they go? I think because you're doing a Game of Thrones, so a merry men, but a little like darker. I think helping people is secondary to like it's a byproduct of surviving, and they will help, but they're not going to go out of their way to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think. Any amount that they do is probably related to recruiting because they probably do recruit from places and there probably is an amount of like, like you, you get stories about people who just like disappear um, and it's because they've joined up with this group and it's probably most of the time because they really wanted to probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good about that. Are you ready to, to go to the look? <laughs> Colonel Cornelius. I think that uh, probably since they're recruiting people from all over, you don't necessarily start out looking like a popcorn, but that like is an effect of 
moving so often as part of this gang and like being around all the other popcorns is that you become more popcorn over time and you can like tell um and this person is probably like the popcorn right is the most popcorn of them so we're we're going the just like he's a popcorn colonel with arms and legs he's a popcorn colonel with arms and legs with guy liner (laughs) yeah he is yeah he is (laughs) that's awesome and also sometimes he turns into an owl bear because it's also Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> an owl bear made out of popcorn. I love that. Someone draw that. Someone <laughs> who isn't me. Okay, so we got look, vibe, deal. Um, Are there other things we go over or is that like a character? I feel actually like really good about this character. I like this character a lot. <laughs> yeah, I I see it. I unfortunately it's not like the worst thing in the world but because you kept saying biker gag i keep picturing him in a leather jacket i'm like it's not it's it's like medieval he wouldn't be in a leather jacket he wouldn't be in a biker jacket sorry (laughs) no it's fine (laughs) but also everyone if you picture a a kern cordal with arms and legs in a biker jacket it's pretty funny (laughs) so yeah is that one fact of peacetime everybody that it sure is I think there's a recurring bit where, like, everyone thinks that Captain Cornelius is a sexual dynamo, just like a big old sex wizard. (laughs) Yeah. But then it's revealed that he's never had sex because he's very scared. He's just very (laughs) scared of it. I think that his um, decision to go off on his own and start a band of merry men or what have you um, was precipitated by um an instance of being in like weather that was like like being out in a an open air space that was so hot that he began to have some hallucinations that he miraculously survived and it was like this moment of like this like epiphany that like realigned his priorities in life and he was like oh my gosh i like have to focus on the things that matter to me and that's doing this um and as a result part of the initiation process is going out into the desert where it's super, super hot until you pass out and then they all bring you back in. Um, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's popping your kernel. Oh man. I was, I was so ready to be like, wow, it's just a really good fun fact. And then you, and then you, <laughs> you hit with the bit at the last second. It's both. They can do both. <laughs> but it's both. It's yeah, it's both. But yeah, what a, oh, that's a great one. Great. Thank you. Bravo. Good fun Thanks. fact. I like that. That's good. What a great character. This was a good one. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I really liked this episode. Wow, we closed out the trilogy on a high note. We did. Shout out to everyone. These got better and better. The Dimension 20 trilogy, we'll be back with more. Probably the first thing we'll do is the seven. (laughs) But before we do that, Amber, question for you, buddy. Yeah, please. What's your go-to movie snack? Oh, speaking of, wow, how topical. I actually do... Um, when I'm watching at home, have a particular popcorn that, like, my dad made me that he passed on to me. Um, uh, you make it in the air popper, and then you pour a thing of butter on it, and you shake it in a particular way, and then you put um, Kraft mac and cheese cheese powder on it. That's my that's my signature popcorn when I'm eating at home. Um, I've been through a couple of movie theater signature snacks. Um, when I was in college, I would get the, like, white fudge-covered pretzels every single week, because um, that was what was... 
I got them at the meal plan and I had a movie theater when I lived in Davis that I was friends with the person who worked there. And so every time I went in, uh, they would give me, um, uh, hot tamales, uh, the, the candy. Um, I don't currently have a movie theater thing. It's just, it's just my special, my special movie theater popcorn, um, or my special home popcorn that my, that my dad used to make. Uh, what about you? You know, it used to be the tradition of stopping by just like CVS and getting whatever candy you wanted and then sneaking it in, but I've I've been eating less candy as I get older and I, I so I guess it's Can't just relate. whenever I decide to actually get a movie snack, I just I get nachos and I like I like sure. the simple nachos. Yeah. All right. Feel parasocially bonded with us or socially bonded with us if you know us in real life, which you probably do if you're listening. Uh thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Original Podcast Do Not Steal. Join us on next week's episode of Original Podcast Do Not Steal, um, when Devin tries to get us to talk about wrestling, um, but instead we talk about shit I didn't come up with a thing to talk about. Um, oh, I know what I'm going to be talking about next week. <laughs> uh, you know what? When Devin tries to get us to talk about professional wrestling, but instead we talk about Order of the Stick. We're doing it? We're doing it. We're, We're talking about it? Order of the Stick. Oh, man, that's what I always expected, but didn't think we'd get to. Wow. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. I'm rereading it right now. I think it'll be done by the time we record next. Let's do Order of the Stick. Let's do it. Should we try to get Noah on or no? Yeah, let's do it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. Let's go. Order the Stick, baby. And stick bundles. Bundles of fat cash is what I hope to make off of this podcast Monday once I've successfully monetized our friendship, and that is how we close them, baby. Wow. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this trilogy, and I don't really have a fun, jokey goodbye, but I'm feeling good, and I hope that you are too, and I hope you have a good weekend, and your hair looks great today, and I love you, and good night. We love you. Goodbye. Good night. You're doing great.